Can I do this in Darth Vader? Ready? Here we are. Is that um, good? No, that was fucking bad, that dude. Was terrible. <laughs> All right. Re- <laughs> that was so bad. Do it again. Please don't. <laughs> Please Here don't. we are. Here we oh, are. Oh, man. This is getting bad. <laughs> anyway, um, what's up, man? How's, right. how's the week treating you? <laughs> uh, you know, it's one of those weeks where it's like it feels like it's like feels like it's garbage already. But oh, long shit. week. Sorry to hear that. Long week. We had a <laughs> long offsite on Monday. <laughs> so oh, just man. one of these. Nothing you know, like typical, a Monday offsite. Typical. Yeah. Typical. So all good. All good. Yeah. Typical well, you, te- you know, tech company life. Yeah, well, speaking of typical, I'll give you something atypical. This past week's been kind of rough and not so much on me individually or personally, but like on our industry. And I know we're going to talk with Angelique about it later, but like I'm seeing a lot of layoffs in companies that affect a lot of our friends. And yeah. and that's that's it's a, it's a scary time. It's a scary time in that way. It's, um, you know, big announcement last week at OneTrust, announcement at Coinbase. I mean, hiring freezes like and it's. It's affecting people in our in our in our industry, which for a long time, you know, felt sort of bulletproof. But um, I think we're seeing uh, a little bit of a drawback. I don't know. How are you experiencing and thinking? The about Coinbase this? one, the Coinbase one was a, a large number of people, um, you know, like 18 percent of their company. And but I did read I did read the CEO's note about it. And when these things happen and they do happen, unfortunately, I always appreciate when companies are very clear about why they had messed up, you know, frankly. And in Coinbase's situation, at least the CEO publicly stated we grew too fast. I, you know, he talked about what they did wrong and why they were in the position that they were in. And and there's so many companies that don't do that or don't take accountability for it and don't just uh no one wants to do that. <laughs> you know, I think uh, better. What was it? Better. I mean, that guy laid off all those people on Zoom with no explanation in a very like m- mean way. Like you, it doesn't have to be that way. It can be different. So I do appreciate on the one hand, you know, I'm sure the people at Coinbase aren't 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 have tons of criticism for the way it, the way it went down because those things yeah. are ne- they never go down well. Um, yeah. But yeah. Look, I, I tell you, being laid off is not a pleasant experience. I don't care how apologetic or transparent right. the employer is. I've been laid off before, and it was one of the worst experiences of my life. And I was a kid. I was in college when I got laid off. So I didn't have, like, a family, a mortgage, you know, whatever. And I remember walking into work, and it was a tech company that laid me off, by the way, um, and laid us all off. Uh, so it laid off, you know, whatever, thousands of people. Um, this is around the dot-com bust days. And um, it's not a good feeling. Uh, and, and, you know, as a, I, I had to go get unemployment and do the things that people do when they get laid off. And so and again, I had no responsibilities back then. I don't remember. I think I was 20 years old, you know. So like if I was a father, a, a mother, uh, you know, a breadwinner, whatever, like this is really hard. And yeah, yes, it's important to be honest and truthful and, and kind and compassionate. And some corporations do a better job at that than others. But I think what's more important than how you handle layoffs is how you run your company so you don't have to lay people off. And I have seen a pattern in some of the companies that are doing layoffs now that they've done similar things before, even when the economy wasn't as contra- uh, you know, as complicated as it is now. And 
that tells me that the company's not being run well. And, you know, I'll let folks go do their own investigating about which companies I'm talking about, but we know the brands. And so that is terrifying because when you commit to a job, you are essentially betting your financial success on the success of that company. And there's a lot of trust there. I'm not an accountant. I don't get to see the numbers, you know, until everybody else does when they get reported. And if it's a private company, they don't necessarily get reported. So I don't know. I have to trust people. And if I put my trust in you and then six months later, a year later, two years later, you let me go because you made a mistake. Well, man, how like how am I to think about my next job? I have to approach it much more distrustfully. I have to become much less loyal to a corporation. I have to think about my own self-preservation in ways that are scary, right? And I, so, I think about this a lot. And I think about yeah. this a lot. And, and I think about it a lot in my role as general counsel of a yeah. startup. Yeah. And like, there are only so many people in the company that can speak that, can speak up to that. They can yeah. say, things like well if we're going to do this uh what are the implications or if we're going to do this what does it mean for us when we go to do x and go to do y and when we do this are you concerned like are we in, uh taking in into consideration enough the way this impacts the human beings that are on the other side of it for a yep. host of reasons the lawyer yep. i think has a huge responsibility to step in and in a lot of ways represent the employee base. Yep, I think that's true. And I, I think those discussions are important. Back to your original point, how you handle it really matters too. And finding yeah. out you got laid off because you tried to log onto your computer and it doesn't work is cold-hearted, man. And and I hear the justifications that I'm seeing on LinkedIn and everywhere else of like, well, you know, we got to make sure like not one employee does anything rogue and this and that. But like, I, I get that. But there has to be a more delicate way to make that happen. Um, and we're all really smart and we solve for a lot of problems. You know, waking up, going down to your basement with a cup of coffee and logging into your computer and being blocked out and having IT tell you that they can't put you back in. And then, you know, the only thing you have on your calendar is a 10 minute meeting with your manager. Like you've already found out you're laid off, man. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's so also, there's gotta be, yeah. It, oh, I'll just add to this. It's also, a, it's a long play. And you actually yeah. sort of mentioned this before. Like what it is, is it's transparency throughout the life cycle of the business. Yep. And I don't care if you're a big company, small company, like, are you talking to your employees about what's happening in the business? And like, that doesn't mean you're, you know, <laughs> disclosing uh, uh su super sensitive things that are, aren't to be disclosed but it does mean you're talking about the big things the big headwinds the big challenges that the company's facing and which teams are working on what to solve it and how everybody has a part and if you're if you're not doing that if you're not instilling that vibe it's it's there's a whole bunch of other things you need to be doing so let me let me yeah. say that too but at a, at its at its sort of higher level it starts with we are uh, as open a book as we can be about what's going on here. Yeah, I think that's the right thing. And look, I, I'll say this to the to our colleagues that are being affected now. I, I think our profession and our industry is still thriving. I think mistakes made by some companies don't reflect on like the general growth trajectory of our industry. Um, if you're listening and looking for a job, reach out to me and let's yep. work on it together. I'm happy to help. 
Um, and there might come a time, Andy, when I need to go find something or you do. Like, we don't know what the future holds. Um, and so it's times like this where we all have to rally around each other and, and make sure that our friends land in places that uh, uh, are interesting and, and going to fulfill them and, and help them meet their economic and financial goals. Uh, and to put them in places to succeed as quickly as possible. So like holler at me if I can help, I'm happy to, uh, you know, use my network for whatever I can. There are a lot of jobs still out there, a lot of companies still hiring. And I think once we get through the murkiness of how the economy is going to stabilize over the next couple months, even more opportunities will be there. So I'm still yeah. optimistic about privacy and data protection um, as, a, as, a, as a growth industry. Uh, that hasn't changed. What I think we need to do is scrutinize the folks that we're interviewing with about their long-term plans and how you fit into them to make sure that we don't see much more of what we've seen now, which is offers getting retracted, people moving yeah. across the country realizing their job got swept up from under them, um, or folks you know, dedicating a year, two, three, four, five years of their life to the success of a company who then just puts them out on the street because they you know, did some bad accounting. Like, this is this is... What I'm even outside of, we need to avoid it. even even if you expand uh, outside of the the privacy world um you know our podcast is obviously presented by tech gc and that's a community of gcs that people can reach out to that there's it's such a uh, an open generous community of gcs and so i encourage people you know there's there's information about tech gc um down below in our notes here but like that's another group of people that that can um you know, move mountains, you know, truly. And, um, totally agree. um, you know, they're, they're, they can be helpful. So it's going to be all right. We just got to do it all together. Right. All right. This is uh ready to tee up our conversation with Angelique Carson. Yeah, man. Angelique's a good friend of mine. We've uh, known each other 150 years and she's got some really smart, interesting uh, things to say. Her privacy career is unique. You know, she was like a privacy journalist, maybe the first yeah. one. I don't know. But like she was a privacy journalist, like the voice of the IPP for years. And, um, you know, she's smart. She has great personality. She understands the human dynamics of our profession better than almost anyone I know. Um, and uh, and now she's using all those tools in, in sort of like the private, uh, the private space, like, uh, I don't know, private practice. Is that the right word? I don't know. She's gone. She's got to go get a, a bag. She's got to go get the bag. Okay. Yeah. And, yeah. um, for those who don't speak slang is, you know, she's, she's now on the business side of things and, uh, I'm excited for her. She's going to rock it. So let's talk. She's got, you know, let's go talk to her. Yep. Here we are. <laughs> We're here, Andy. I see you've got the uh, uh, "I'm in jail but haven't been granted bail" uh, beard going here. Looking I'm good. I'm working man. on it. I'm working on it. I lost a bet to my six-year-old, and she said, yeah. "You need to grow a beard." And I said, "All right." I said, "How long do I have to have the beard?" She said, "A hundred years." <laughs> and oh, then I said, and then I go, uh, "What about a little shorter?" <laughs> and she goes, <gasps> "Okay, okay, ten years." <laughs> I was like, okay. can we that's, can we that's negotiate? That's ninety percent shorter, man. Well, well, I personally like the uh, you know, in what is it, disturbing the peace uh, five o'clock shadow you got going on there. It's looking pretty good. It's looking pretty good. <laughs> it's pretty, pretty good. good. It feels good. Are you gonna ask me why I'm wearing this stupid hat? Yeah. What what's with the hat? I think it looks cool. Yeah. Well, let me tell you, it's a hundred and fucking something degrees here in Atlanta, Georgia. And I tried to walk the dog and almost disintegrated. So I had to wear my uh, 
I don't even know what to call this, man. Beekeeper hat. So we're hat. 30 seconds into the podcast and you dropped an F-bomb. I don't even think that's a record, though. I actually oh, think no, I that think so. with, that's like probably like a, <laughs> not a record. Wait, is swearing allowed on this podcast? If, oh, if that's yeah. true. First of all, great news. Second of all, I got to rethink the way I've been doing my podcast. Like, yeah. Oh, for real? You're yeah. doing the PG uh, well, thing? Pedro, why don't you welcome welcome our guest, Angelique, here? Wait, but I just, can I ask a quick question about this hat first? Because yeah. here's the thing. My theory on, uh, I run hot, you know, like I can't handle heat. I'm from Maine. I, I live in DC, but, uh, every summer it's a real struggle. And my theory is that you let heat escape through your feet and your head. Mm-hmm. And so, well, I don't know if that's my theory. I think that's something medical. And so when I'm really ha- hot, I take whatever hat I'm wearing off, you see, to yeah. release this is all this is all science no 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 that's science and like i appreciate science but here's the thing there's a lot of folks are going to be listening to this and not watching i mean if you pictured like the first jurassic park movie whatever that scientist dude's name is i'm wearing a similar hat but if you look closely on my hat it's netted so (gasps) that's the heat escape so science Wow. Yeah. So we were both right. I just couldn't see yeah. the netting. Okay. Yeah, gotcha. the netting is camouflage, you know. But anyway, that's the vibes. I don't like a hot head either. Um, so I'm with you on that. But um, Andy, I'll do the right thing. So this is like a formal podcast and stuff. Like this is our friend Angelique Carson. <laughs> L- long time IAPP, like journalist, voice, uh, whatever, and now out in the private industry world doing big things. And we finally were able to uh corral her and it's spent an hour with us and um and here we are uh, so thanks for joining us finally friend. i jumped when you to- told me to jump this was my first i first of all i had heard of this andy dale guy obviously pedro and i've known each other a long time yeah a long I kept time hearing about this andy dale guy like he's a real sharp shooter and you know <laughs> and uh he's, they're so funny and i'm like why don't i know andy and then andy and i finally met in dc at summit uh, we had a coffee and it was like, oh, this wasn't that hard. I don't know why it took us years. No, it's great. Andy. It's it's great to to it was great to to meet you and a couple people from your company too. And so like, um, yeah, it was overdue, but I'm yeah. glad it's happening for sure. Andy, yeah. you're a real <laughs> sharp shooter, man. I'm gonna start describing you that way when people say, hey, what's Andy really like? I'm gonna be like, you know what, man, he shoots sharp. I'm pretty sharp, <laughs> but I do not have Bullseye. a a cowboy hat with you know mesh. On yeah, it, I don't so. think this is a cowboy hat. This is it's like a grandma a gardening hat. This is grandma it's like a, in the garden. Yeah, or like I could see you launching, like I, sh- I could see, see you with like a fishing pole or a tour yeah, guide. Yeah, exactly. Maybe. Fishing pole kind of situation. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, what about it? It lo- also looks like um perhaps like someone who's rowing a gondola in Venice. A lot of gondola that- energy. A lot of gondola yeah. energy. <laughs> you know i have a uh i have a real cowboy stetson hat that i'm gonna wear in one of these episodes um big big fan of the bold hats like i'm a big bold hat guy i'm always wearing a baseball cap but like this is the wave that's why i do i express myself the same way but my thing is earrings like i always have really big earrings going but i also have a cowboy hat that i bought when i was in austin from like you know one of those i can't remember what store it is steps in or like some important some like actual cowboy store and i i just can't i can't there's never a venue where i feel ballsy enough to wear it so it just sits in my apartment like a decoration but it's so cool let me tell you what venue is appropriate whatever one you fucking want you anytime (laughs) i put that hat on 
it's like, damn, he wore that hat today, didn't he? And I don't give a shit what people say. Like, I just wear no. it. I, yeah, just wear your hat. Who cares? So, like, uh, we're gathered here at this funeral to remember... <laughs> If it's a Saturday afternoon funeral, man, you got to cover your head. Might as well go bold, you know, like that's the move. But anyway, yeah, yeah. I'm working look, on my confidence. Yeah, do it. Just do it. Look, next time we hang out together, I'm bringing my cowboy hat. We're just going to do it. The two just of us just it. bombing down the streets of whatever city. We're just going to do it. We're just going to do it. Next panel yeah. I'm on, I'm wearing a cowboy hat. Andy, I'm just putting it out there right now. We're going oh, to Austin. You here. We're going to Austin. Oh, we are there's, going there's to no Austin. Better, no better venue that I can think of. Angelique, right, bring, your, bring your cowboy hat to Austin IPP. We're wearing cowboy hats. It's done. I'll just sit quietly in your session with my hat on in, right. in quiet support. But y'all heard it here on this podcast. He said in Austin on his panel, he's wearing the cowboy hat. So y'all do can not let me forget. I'm it's actually it. a really great panel, actually. I'm really actually Talk, excited about for it, that Eddie. one. Tell us about it. You want to promote <laughs> it, it a little bit here? Let's sure. It. Why not? It, it's a, it's, but I'll promote it. But I, you know, one of the reasons that it's good to talk about is because you know, you know, the folks on it, and we can talk about why it's so great. Like, so it's okay. the panel is Pedro and I came up with this, the path to CPO, how to get to CPO, and it's Ooh. the two of us along with Ruby from Uber and oh, yeah. Michelle Dennity. Oh, nice. Yeah. So awesome. two super super experienced people. Y'all that, are gonna you're gonna drop some bombs on that. Also, Ruby and Michelle don't hold back. They they ain't scared. No. So that'll be a great conversation no. between the four. I, I'll go to that panel for sure. And they've yeah, been friends awesome. forever, the two of them, and and so worked that's worked right. together. And so like there's just and and you know obviously Pedro and I are friends. And so I think there's like when you have real <laughs> so conversation. Obvious, when you have real conversations with real people, that's actually one of the things I was curious to ask you about. Having done a podcast for so long, uh, well, what's the name of it, your it, podcast? And tell us about it. Say it out loud. Oh, hey, thanks, guys. Uh, it's called the Privacy Beat. You know, like a journalistic beat. Um, due to my uh, background as a journalist, and also sort of that like image of like trying to keep, you know, we're trying to keep a steady beat with the podcast. You're trying to keep up on the beat of privacy news. Um, and I just launched it. Two weeks ago, our next episode comes out. Uh, won't matter for people listening because this timeline won't make sense. But we're releasing our next episode tomorrow, and uh, I'm really excited about. It. I missed podcasting a lot, and uh, I missed for that reason, Andy. I missed talking like real people. Um, you know, webinars we do those. We, we you got to do them, but there's like a sort of decorum, and a, you know, you got to stick to a little bit of a script. Whereas a podcast, as we know, with Pedro dropping f bombs, you can uh, you can be yourself. That that was a little bit of that was a little bit of the nature of my question. So like, it's clear that you know over the course of the time doing the podcast at IAPP through now, you really value relationships, like those relationships being real and having a ton of really strong relationships. Like, so how did you how did you get to that learning? Did that come naturally, or is that just like through the arc of doing the podcast or doing your thing? I think it's partly my nature is just like help me learn this. I, I don't know. I tend to approach things like, I, I want you to talk me through this, like a real person, like, will you please? And in the early days, I really didn't know what was what about privacy. So I was coming in real humble to these like, you know, established people, career people, you know, I was like 25 and had only worked at a newspaper before I had never interviewed really lawyers, you know, I used to interview like the manager of the school board or whatever. Um, and so it was kind of a different thing. And there was a different parlance. And so I felt like kind of an underdog when I came in. And 
all I ever asked of people was for them to share their intellect. And I was really earnest about it. And I think that just in turn, I think there was from my interview subject, sort of an appreciation of like a genuine curiosity and also, you know, just being a nice person, which, you know, you should be. And uh, luckily it just kind of resulted in some really cool longstanding relationships. And I'm able to continuously turn to those people when I need help with expertise. And I'm super grateful for that. I'm super grateful that you use the word parlance in the podcast. Like that was key. <laughs> that was that's, key. <laughs> that's a vestige of my, uh, my training in the lawyer world. That was key. Look, Angelique's real humble, but I'll say this. It doesn't hurt that she's smart as shit and um, has a great personality and knows how to get people to open up. Like those, like the personality is her inherent. The smarts are inherent. Like that last one is skill, you know, like you're very skilled at getting people to kind of let their guard down. Something we try to do here on the podcast quite a bit. It's like, what, but it's, you know, it some takes of our friends work. Like, yeah, some it takes, of our it takes like work. serious jobs and they want to come here and be serious. Work. It takes work and it depends, you know, you could, I've, I've had that experience where I thought, you know, my initial take when I started the IPP podcast was like, everyone has a story. doesn't matter who I get on the podcast. Like I just have to be, you know, I just have to get it out of them. But you, sometimes you're just, you, you you're walking an uphill battle and, and like not everyone, everyone does have a story, but not everyone is comfortable or really great at telling that story. And so, yes, you can maneuver a little bit, but it's also about trying to be smart about who you're, who you're working with in terms of what you need to get out of it. If you need someone to come and speak like a real person and be open with you and you have to work it out a little bit, but I think there's a little bit of like just planning that helps facilitate that going well, you know? Definitely. I bombed a couple of times. I, I couldn't like, yeah, we've, people, we've yeah, bombed. Knows, like, yeah, we've bombed. Like there's, there's episodes that we've done with people we love that just didn't work. And like, that's life, mm -hmm. you know? I mean, mm -hmm. show business, I guess, you know, like it just didn't work. <laughs> and, and I've been on other podcasts as a guest. And, you know, people will say, well, Pavone's got a good personality. And I've bombed. I've gone on another podcast and been like, hey, we got to do that one over because that was junk. I, I, I was uh, I was C minus level mentally there or whatever was going on. And that's happened a couple of times, too, where I've been a guest and just bombed it. So it's just it happens. I mean, some of that thrash yeah. is normal. Let me ask you. Well, this. Some uh, of it's like, oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. You go ahead. I was just going to say some of it's mood, too. Like for me, I have to be like I'm not always on, you know, and. Like yes. today I have like yesterday was insane. Like startup life is crazy. And I'm like so overwhelmed. And I knew I want to show up and be like who I want to be with y'all, like, which is natural. But also if you wake up in a mood or you're stressed or whatever. So I actually got on my pellet. I was like, you know what? We're going to do a quick Peloton ride. We're going to get some endorphins going. We're going to take a shower. We're going to get our coffee. Like you got to kind of set yourself up to be who you need to be at any given time. Right. That's I right. find. No, that's show business. I'm not always like this. Look yeah. at you. You're Hollywood. This is what you're telling us right now. That's what you just told me that you're Hollywood. <laughs> me and J-Lo. Which, by yeah, the way, I watched the J-Lo. I watched the J-Lo Netflix documentary last night. Wicked good. Like, I, I've never been like a dude. I, I, I love J-Lo, but like passive fan pretty much. And the special follows her lead up to the Super Bowl performance. And, uh, and uh, losing at the Academy Awards and the Oscars. And it. It, was, it was really good. Highly recommend. Okay, on with All the right, show. I'll Sorry. check it out. I digress. I'll check it out. No, so, so here's the question I wanted to ask you. Like, so um, how is privacy, like wh what's your relationship with privacy as a surface for a podcast and for your journalism, right? Like how is writing and talking about privacy for a living uh, mm -hmm. different than something else? Like some of the other experiences you've had and, you know, better, worse, what is like, just tell us about what that's like. Um, 
I mean, to be honest, before this, I was only, you know, I was the editor of my college newspaper. Then I went to, into local uh, journalism, uh, community kind of reporting. I was doing like covering three beats municipalities in Southern Maine. And then I went right into privacy. So I don't have a ton to compare it to. But what I'd say, I was just thinking the other day about how there was this federal privacy hearing and we were all geeked out about it. And I was just writing a post about these CPRA regs. And it's like, I can't imagine working in an industry where there wasn't this much change because it's exciting. Like there's always something we're trying to figure out that's just come down. And I'm thinking like, what if I was like on the beat of like dentistry or something like there can't be that much changing with teeth, you know? So I feel like if you're like trying to come on the dentistry beat every day and be like, y'all, like, Listen to this research. You know, we got some new info on molars. Like, it just can't be that. Ex- so I think privacy is just cool because we are all genuinely trying to figure it out together. And so the journalism and the work is exciting because it's never just like the same story over and over again. I mean, yes, it's like, OK, here's what the Virginia law says. Let's compare that to CCPA. Like, yeah, OK, we do that all day long. But the conversations we have around the nuances of like developing laws and regulations and guidance it just always changes and everyone's always all freaked out. So there's like an electricity in it that I think is kind of fun. I would agree with you, except I think if you went to the average person on the street and you said, you know, like even the privacy, uh, the federal privacy bill hearings this week, right? Hey, you, uh, you hear about those? I'd say 99.9% of people will be like, the fuck are you talking about, man? I don't know what you're talking about. And I think the same reaction to the molar discussion. Did you hear about the new molar technology? They'd be like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I live in Atlanta, big like influencer kind of Hollywood show business, music business town, right? I went to Ooh. dinner a few weeks ago with some friends at a, one of these fancy places and the rooftop had been closed off for an exclusive event. You want me to tell you what it was? It was dental influencers on Instagram and TikTok. And the room no. was packed. There were cameras. There's a lot of young people, veneer vendors, like all kinds of stuff. So Stop what it. have I learned by going to the Dental Influencers Convention in Atlanta? Um, I think we think our shit is cooler than the rest of the world thinks it is. And proximity plays a role in our enthusiasm because I don't pick up on this enthusiasm. As soon as I, I'm two levels removed from privacy, meaning people who just have no connection to this at all besides what's in the media and what's in the news, they don't care. This, and I don't I don't mean they don't care about privacy. People also care about their mouths. They just don't care about molar technology and like the legislative jurisprudential process of, of privacy legislation. Like that's sort of where I'm at. I can't believe the example. That's I real. Like, I, could, couldn't I have picked something other than dentistry you nailed that it. you couldn't have come back? We didn't plan but that, but you nailed it. I want to. We didn't plan it, but how great. And I want to apologize to all of the people working in teeth <laughs> you out there that I acted like you, your industry was a dud. There, You know what? I take it back. I'm sorry. But <laughs> dental I think fair, influencers. Dental influencers. Like, like, influencers. I couldn't believe it. And I'm not making the story up. Shout out to my friend Sharif, who was with me and can validate this. Like, it was just, we were like, what is this? And it was the dental influencers, like, you know, meetup or whatever it was. It was wild. Anyway, wow. Um, I what do you corrected. think, Andy? Like, I think we have a lot of hype and, like, we get really pumped. But, like, you know, I called my aunt for her birthday yesterday. I don't think when she asked me what's up in your life, my answer wasn't, well, you know, I'm really pumped up about this privacy legislation situation well, I, in I, D.C. I, I think you have to compartmentalize these things a little bit. Because I think, um, you know, obviously jokes about the dental industry aside, like uh, what is relevant to all Americans is the idea of privacy. And what is relevant to all Americans is, you know, uh, content moderation on social media and and the president getting kicked off Twitter and like 
antitrust and you know big companies like Apple using using privacy uh, in in ways that make you know people question and and ask themselves questions about how they interact with their devices and how they interact with the world. So I do think we do have a leg up in the sense uh, that it's it's in the headlines of you know major major places and so. Yeah, you know, is it the- average average person on street? It is an average person on street. You know, what do you think about your right to erasure? You know, they're they're like, like, what do you mean? You know, like with pencils? Yeah. I don't know. Like, but but, so I do think we have a leg up in one in one way. Yeah, I mean, and look, I think, I, I think shift- go ahead, Angela. go ahead. I I was just gonna say I think it's shifted. You know, I always use the example that when I started, you know, I got into privacy. I started the IVP in 2010 and forget about it. I mean, like cocktail parties were a nightmare. I was like, how am I going to, I don't have no elevator speech. And now you can at least refer to like, you know, that whole Facebook Cambridge Analytica thing. And you have, you have touch points, like, you know, the Snowden revelations, you know, you know, you have like these little touch points that you can at least like help people connect the dots. And then it's like, okay, I think it's shifted slightly into public consciousness with all of the breach headlines and scandals and, you know, GDPR fines and that sort of thing. Was that Slightly. surprising? Was that surprising for you? Like be at 10 years at the IPP, like you start at one place and to end up at another, obviously the membership of the IPP is very big, but then it did become socially conscious in, in the ways that you're talking about. So I'm wondering like for a small group of people in New Hampshire who who were starting, you know, what is what was effectively a, a trade group to then just be like, holy moly, like this, this blew up in ways we weren't was it like that? Um, no, because we, I mean, we sort of lived in a bubble. You know, we all have those kind of one-off experiences in terms of like, oh, people do get this a little bit more now. But in general, we're so sort of, we're dealing with the people who it matters to most, you know, whose jobs depend on it so much that it, mm-hmm. you don't so much have like as a group an idea of, but I will say that, I mean, Trevor's pitch to me when I I mean, I was asking for the job, but when I met with Trevor um, at that point, we were only 30 people. So he was still interviewing people, even like uh, uh, incoming staff writers. And he was like, listen, we have this market research that indicates there's, you know, there's this regulation that's being conjured up in Europe and this world's going to explode. Like, because I was really scared about job security because the reason I got out of small newspapers because my newspaper closed because they couldn't figure out how to shift advertising to digital well enough. And I was like, I want to write, but I'm... I. I just graduated and I just got laid off. And my dad was like, do not get into, what are you doing getting into journalism? Like worst decision ever, get into banking. And, uh, you know, I was like, dad, you not know banking. my dream. No. Go to dental well, school. Like, I was going to say, go, go to dental school. school. Go to dental school. <laughs> dental school. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why y'all are good. Um, no, but he was like, the closer to the money you are, the more money you're going to make. And journalism is not close to the money. So when I went to Trevor, I was like, listen, my big, I was scared. I was 25. I had no money, no money. And I was like, I'm really worried about job security. And so when he said, this thing's going to explode, you, you won't have to worry about job security at all at the IPP. I was like, cool, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yes, I still think we over, ex- I think we're, the privacy hype machine is not as big as it looks from the outside to us on the inside. I am confident about this. 
confident. I'm confident I could sit at any dinner table and talk about teeth whitening and everyone will have an opinion on privacy. People will have like much more superficial opinions. Just putting that out there. Um, but whatever. I get it. It's, it's, it's what pays my bills and it's what interests really, me. But. Something really interesting that you just said when you talk about interviewing with Trevor. We had Trevor on the show and he walked through his decision to, to join IAPP and start you know, act, start right. that job as a CEO. And it was a huge risk for him at the time. Yeah. And so it's it funny right to after, me that I, he, he then like was then able to to pitch you about, you know, how how much job security there was when he had like kids he was trying to, you know, put through yeah. school. And he was like, it was not a clear slam dunk for, to go do it. But what yeah, a difference those sure, 10 or 15 years made, though, right? Yeah. Because that, that yeah. And I mean, Trevor's yeah. someone also who just I mean, he has really good instincts. And obviously, he's like such a smart sort of analyst. And I think obviously he made the right decision based on, you know, whatever information he had at the time. But in large credit to him, you know, we have, you know, the IPP. Obviously, he'd say yeah. he didn't do it alone. But that early insight, you know, he talks about the fact that he's seeing these data protection or data breach cases come across his desk and something kind of went off in his head. And so, um, you know, much credit to him for, for getting this huge body going that we now know as the IPP. So you left so the what, IPP a little bit, a little bit ago, and now you're doing some other shit. Why don't you tell us what that is? Cool, cool. Yeah, happy to. So, yeah, I left the IPP in 2019, um, went to a startup. Yeah, yeah, I know you haven't really been in touch. It's hurt me a little bit, but that's fine. <laughs> um, uh, so I left the IPP and started at um, another startup before TerraTrue called Osano that does kind of like cookie consent uh, management. And I wasn't looking for a new job, but TerraTrue came and knocking and I had a conversation with our co-founder, COO, Chris Hanman, um, and I something you know, went off in my head where I was like, there, I, there's a synergy I have with this guy, something about this guy. Uh, he seems like the real deal. He told me the founder story and it was like, so cool. And they needed someone to kind of evangelize it in part. And I was like, ah, that seems like a really easy story to evangelize. I can get behind that. And so long story short, I jumped and, uh, really happy. I did really cool team. Andy's met some of them, as he mentioned earlier, um, just like really good, real people. And I just feel like it's a real grown up company. Like it's like smart people who know how to like how to laugh and have a good time and be real. But also like they get shit done, you know, like very hard workers and very efficient workers that have more experience than I, you know, a lot of them have been in the startup world for longer. So they just have that muscle that I'm still developing in terms of like, this is how we move things and things as we know in startup world have to always be moving faster. So I, I met Chris <laughs> last year, who is the COO and co-founder and and Pedro, he was the general counsel of Snap and and led them through creation of their privacy program. So the company is led by people I know him. that have right, that have put it exactly that have put it together at the highest level. Uh, he's solid. You know. Yeah. Oh, he's so and he's also though, he's like the the most humble like when he gives me edits or when he has like he's just he never comes in like here's what we're gonna do you know he's like you know i might be i might be not getting this can you help me i, I don't love this line but i think it might be me like what do you think and it's it's just such a nice oh sorry my email um it's just such a nice um way to lead you know like he's really like he easily wins the hearts and minds because he's just that's who he is as a person and so that's what i was also looking for is like i just want someone nice you know Hmm. Nice uh, what's been and the hardest smart. what's the hardest part of transitioning from sort of like a non not for profit association y type 
organization to like a startup that's obviously for profit? Um, I would say the speed and rigor for sure. I mean, the IPP, especially when I left, it's a well-oiled machine. There's so many hands on deck. You know, we've been able to through the through the buildup of the membership and the need the need to serve the membership. We, you know, the the staff is you know I don't know probably like 250 now is over 200 when I left. So maybe we're nearing 300. I don't know, but um you know, versus at a startup where you just, there aren't ever enough bodies yet. And there's work that needs to be done yesterday. And, you know, actually at the IPP, we have the saying, no job is not your job in terms of like, let's all collaborate and help each other. But in startup world, like that's so true. It's like, you're doing, you know, there's, there's your hands in every pot and you're just kind of doing the best you can to, to keep up and um, serve your team the best you can in these early days. So, and there's an anxiety to it, right? Like it's a startup. Like we're, we've done two rounds of series A. We, um, we're doing great and we're climbing, climbing, climbing. But at the IPP, it was just like, we're never going to go out of business. You know what I mean? Like we're, no matter if I miss this article deadline or if I don't do a great job in this article, like there's going to be little impact, maybe some critiques from some smart lawyers out there who are like, oh, you got this wrong. Or like, I wanted this advice yesterday, but otherwise it wasn't scary. Whereas like, I love it because it's pushing me really hard to grow this muscle, but it's, it's a little scary. You know, it's just like, I got to get this done and I got to do it well because people are just learning about territory when you, I want their impression of us to be, wow, that seems like a really smart and cool company that gets it. And if you get that wrong early on, you know, you might not win them back. So it's also uh, pri- privacy tech is a very crowded space and hot space. A lot of investment, a lot of companies doing overlapping things, some differentiated, some not. So companies that are investing in what their brand looks like and what their content looks like, um, critical, important. And so um, companies like yours are, are, are making smart choices when they think about what are they going to produce as content because that content... You have these like really, really. Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to like bucket all lawyers or or uh, tech, you know, privacy tech buyers this way. But you know, we tend to be detail focused people <laughs> that are looking for you know specific things and people that have thought about things in specific ways. And so, I think content, uh, you know, maybe in that type of company is served up uh, maybe a little bit differently, or, or it's a more important vector for marketing yeah i think so definitely it's it's all about standing out among the very crowded space as you said and it's cool for me too though i mean actually territory wasn't looking to hire someone at my position when they were looking but when we met they kind of were like oh actually maybe we should up level this a little bit and that was great for me because that was like the level i needed to come come in at i was looking for you know director at least level um, and so they really reevaluated and it, what's really cool for me, as you mentioned about Chris being GC at snap and also our, our CEO was, um, was CISO at snap, <clears throat> Jad Boutros. And then our privacy attorney at territory now was also privacy attorney at snap. So it's like this little, there's a team of them that came through this experience in the trenches together and came out smarter. And, um, aside from that, it's really helped me grow stronger because Chris, as you said, when you're talking about your kind, and this is very true of your kind, you're detail oriented, you're a perfectionist, and you're really good at finding 
the flaws quick. And so like for me, I find that he, if there's a weak point in a piece that I'm giving him like thought leadership piece or something, there's like one line that I'm like, I don't feel like that's that strong, but whatever, it's good enough. He will immediately find that and be like, no. And I'm like, oh, I knew that. So I like having that. I want someone who can make me sharper. You know, at this point in my career, it's like you write, you write, you write. You want to keep getting better and not just stand still. And I feel like I have the ability to do that with, you know, the smart people surrounding me now. Anyway, I'm gushing about them. Sorry, but I love them so much. No, gush away. They're good people and smart. And (laughs) the company's on a cool trajectory. So that's awesome. Speaking of trajectories, you said something earlier, or both you guys were talking about job security earlier and how sort of when you got hired on at the IEPP, it was a sure thing. And I think that's true then. Uh, But what we're seeing now in the last week, for example, um, you know, Coinbase just laid off, I think, 1,100 people and, um, and OneTrust, a privacy unicorn based here where I live, just laid off, uh, I think it was like 900 people. Don't quote me on that, but I know it was a big chunk of people. I think it was 950, um, yeah. Yeah, 950, right? So 950, that's 2,000 and change human beings. This is 2,000 human beings. Not all of them are going to be privacy folks. I get that. But OneTrust specifically is a privacy organization, right? So everybody there is driving a privacy mission, whether you're an accountant or you're, a, uh, you know, the privacy lawyer working on the whatever. And among some of the people laid off at both companies, I, I, I know some. And these are smart, brilliant privacy minds. I do think there are a lot of jobs out there. I think some companies may have overestimated their reach and, you know, and uh, like underestimated headwinds. And that's why we're seeing a lot of change. What do we tell our colleagues that are finding themselves in a industry that is supposedly thriving and are laid off on the street? What, what, what do we tell them? How do we help them? I don't, Pedro, I don't know. And it's, I, um, I also, that is so scary. And I'm so sad for, for all of those people. And I hope I've seen some people reaching out and being like, Hey, you know, if you lost your job, like, let me know, I'd love to help you network or whatever. And I mean, I would say probably all of us are, are willing to to help out someone who's been through that experience. But I also think there's this weird thing happening where I'm hearing from both sides of the coin. I'm hearing from companies who are like, we just can't find privacy talent we need. And then I'm hearing from people that are trying to get into this space saying, I can't get hired because everyone wants me to have eight years of GDPR experience. And like, I don't have that or whatever. (laughs) So I don't know what's going on with this disconnect, but I feel like there is a hiring problem (laughs) in our industry that needs to be addressed somehow. And I'm not sure how we address it. I think I think there's a training problem. Uh, I think people aren't willing to train people. And and that's not to say that they're not interested or they're not kind, you know, or they don't want to. They may just be slammed and they may not feel that they can do it. If you talk to law firms, often the case is I've got to find someone that's done this for a couple of years because I just can't I can't train them. And, you know, my my retort back to that is like, God, that's such bullshit, because like if you train them, they'll be better faster. <laughs> <laughs> and and it'll you'll both be better off and i think sometimes it's just that very difficult balance of how do we do that so i think what i try to do at least in, in i can the one small thing that i can do even when there's no uh no economic pressure or macro you know events happening is just try to help anyone that reaches out to me to give them advice about how to break in and how to and how to enter into the field and just get any relevant experience because i think actually the bar for what is relevant experience isn't that high it's almost like 
a lot of it is showing interest and going to events and like getting a CIPP, which like if you're invested is not that difficult. And so once you have those credentials and you're writing a thought piece or you're like going to a webinar or talking to people, asking questions, all of a sudden somebody becomes more quote experienced and they don't have to have run a GDPR program creation soup to nuts to be valuable to somebody. I think. I, I think, think it's a couple true. things. Pedro, yes. Go I want to hear what you think. Yeah, I think it's a couple things. My LinkedIn is full of people of color with lots of experience and no job prospects. And so we've got a problem there. Get like It's a fact. It's just a fact. And I think part of the problem, part of the disconnect there is large organizations with recruiting teams. Recruiting teams are not well versed in how to talk and decipher whether someone is a privacy real thing or a privacy poser. They can't do it. They're not good at it. So they look for unrealistic things like 10 years of experience, certain company logos, certain law firm logos. And we're falling into the same trap we always fall into, which is we farm off the recruiting process to non-privacy people that can't discern someone's privacy expertise based on what they're saying and can only do it based on what's on the resume or on their LinkedIn. And that automatically disqualifies tons of people with plenty of experience and plenty of knowledge because they didn't work at the right company or go to the right school or have the right certificate. So like we need to translate for recruiting people, particularly at large companies, how to do this. And I spend a tremendous amount of time with my recruiting team, who, by the way, is excellent. Uh, but part of the reason they're good is because they listen and they we work together to make sure they're looking for the right verbal cues during meetings from candidates so that like they're not disadvantaged simply because they didn't go to the right school or work at the right firm or have the right internship or do the right thing. Not do the right thing, but like do the right optical thing. Um, so that's a big problem. I think the other one is like unrealistic expectations by uh, uh, uh like hiring managers about what people with certain levels of experience can do. Like, what is like, what do you expect from somebody who's just graduated from law school or who's three years out of a, a grad school or college? Like, have realistic expectations, right? Like, this is really important. And like, it, it, I think tempering what we expect people to know is going to be important and creating an entry level pipeline is a mis not creating an entry level pipeline, which is what our industry is doing, um, is going to be problematic in five or six years because we're not going to have a pipeline of senior people who know what to do. It's just going to be that simple. When when I retire, when you re when the three of us quit, who's following behind us? We're not sure yet, and if we're not careful, we're not going to have a good you know stock of experts because we're just not teaching them. So. We need to translate for recruiting departments, like how to have these conversations. We need to stop looking at old cues that are outdated and worthless to figure out who's qualified to do what. And like, we need to focus on building a junior pipeline because we're not doing that. And we're going to crush our industry in the process. These are my thoughts. I think that's true. And I think um, for my part, you know, I will also say, Andy, to your point about, um, uh, sorry, I'm drawing a blank. Um, you were when we were talking about you know like tra oh training sorry when we're talking about training I think the other thing about that is that when you when you take a chance on someone uh, and you train them up there's a loyalty that that comes yeah. of that where you you then have a you have a little soldier you know because you for me at least people who have taken the time to help me understand something or to mentor me like I'm yours for life you know what I mean like I appreciate that so deep in my soul. And I think that that's largely true of people. If you help them in some way, you take their hand and pull them up, you know, they're going to be around for, for you in a way that 
any run of the mill, you know, Joe Blow might not be. So I think that there's an investment, you know, it makes sense to invest that way. And I would also say for my small, small part in this, what I'm interested in doing, especially now that I have, you know, now I'm at territory and I'm trying to build some things is to bring in like the next class, like to use people as sources for stories who, yeah, they're not a name yet, but they know what they're talking about. And um, oftentimes it's because someone I know vouched for them or whatever said, oh, there's this great woman who's, you know, who's really smart, you know, to put them on programming, to get them on webinars, to use them as sources for stories and then tweet out that we use them and start elevating them a little bit um, and then, you know, help. And then they have a little bit of power and they can pull in some of their people so that we have this next class of privacy rock stars because we've had the established class for a long time. And, you know, there's sort of tiers of it, I guess, like all the way back to sort of like the double click uh, days of like the Nula, you know, O'Connor's and the Jules Polonetskis and, and all of that. Um, but like, as you say, Pedro, like we need, we need to develop the next way of coming behind us. And I think we can all do, you know, certain small things, even if it's just, as you said, Andy, if, if anyone ever asked me for a coffee, like, I don't care who you are. Like, I'm always like, sure, like, let's do it. You know, it's just like those little making time for people who can't do anything for you, um, in an effort to help, you know, help someone out in their privacy career. When we do and those things. Fair. Sorry. And I just want to put a a, a a period on something important. It's not fair for us, the incumbents, the people who are here, to say to the folks who want to break in and tap in, well, develop yourself so that you're qualified. Like, it's our responsibility to help develop them. Like, mm -hmm. how are they going to do it on their own? Like, you can go get an IPP certification. That's great. But we all know what that actually means, okay? That just means you're expressing interest in an area. It doesn't mean you're a subject matter expert, okay? Um, and everyone with a in a hiring role position, meaning a hiring officer, knows that. So, like, you know, saying to people, every, you know, how do I get into privacy? Well, go get a CIPP. Go take whatever experience you can and, you know, go show some work. Well, the last two, they, they can't do on their own. They just can't. They can't do them on their own. And it's mm -hmm. not fair to then say, well, you don't have what, what I told you to get. So, like, you're not eligible. Like, you, you can't have it. You know, we're trying to have our cake and eat it, too, which is, like, have a nice, healthy pipeline, but then put all the onus on the folks trying to break in to figure out how to make themselves qualified. And that's just not fair. When we help, so the point agreed with all of that, and, when, and to add to it, when we help and we help people with actionable things, you know, here are the things you could actually do, it, it, it. It pays off in in the ways we've discussed with, uh, um, you know, people being you know with you for life, but also like they will pay that forward themselves. Mm -hmm. They'll go do that that's for right. other people. That's and right. So like 100%. I think that's a really important piece, right? Because how do you build a pipeline? One major aspect is that that loop, that curve, continuing to 100%. go. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. All right. Yeah. Last the last thing before we go, I want to talk about Maine. Is that yeah. okay? <laughs> Yeah. Okay. I, I love Maine, but I, I, I want to hear why do you love Maine? And you, you're from Maine, but what do you love about it? You're Andy, you're from Massachusetts, right? I am, but I also love Maine. <laughs> no, I know. But I just I always feel uh, excited when I when I'm talking to fellow New Englanders. I feel like I'm like, OK, you get it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, I love Maine. Maine has changed a lot since I grew up in Maine. Like when I, I'm from the Portland area and it wasn't anything that you bragged about. I mean, it was great, but it was like a working waterfront and beautiful coastline. And of course, everyone has their summer camps and comes. But like Portland now is like chef owned restaurants and hotels and it's very hipster. You know, there's like a handcrafted donut shop on every corner and whatever. Um, it's obviously still amazing, but it's a different place now. I love Maine because um, first of all, you got four seasons. 
Uh, it's never as hot as DC. We got the sea breeze, so I don't die in this humidity <laughs> uh, bubble that I'm in right now. Uh, and also, it's just the people are just they're cool, man. They're they're a mix of like blue collar, white collar uh, workers, and I think that there's sort of like a um, I don't know, like there's a mentality that's like. A, a kind of a toughness, a kind of a saltiness, and also like this kind of like easy beautifulness that comes when it, whenever you live near the coast. Like there's just a, if you live near the coast, uh, somehow it infuses itself into your body and uh, you're just a cooler person. That's, that's what I believe. <laughs> so, I don't know. How can you not love Maine? You know, it's just, it's a beautiful place with great people. And I, I'm grateful that I have it as a retreat. I will say, however, in my mind, I always thought I will. I will retire and make, you know, my mom's getting older. I have two older brothers, but I'm the baby and I'm the only girl. So I will probably take care of my mom for the majority of the time when she gets like really older. But like I was talking to my former boss the other day, Sam Feifel, and he's like, listen, if you think you're buying property in Maine, you better buy a shack in like Lisbon Falls uh, now. Because like since COVID, you know, everyone from slightly south of Maine, you know, New York, Connecticut, whatever, realize I don't have to live in this state. I can do my work for Maine. And so property prices are just through the roof. That and Airbnb, like it's just impossible. Like it's it's getting to be absolutely insane, which I never imagined I'd get priced out of Maine, but it's a reality I'm facing at this time. Pedro, what do you think? Have, have you been to Maine? To buy a house now. I uh, I love said, all that. I don't know how anybody can't love Maine, and one of the ways is to never have been there or know anything <laughs> about it. <laughs> you gotta I, get I, you I'm there. Sure Maine is great. Shout out to you in Maine, and like I, <laughs> I've seen photos and it looks beautiful, but I've just never been. I think I've been to 48 states, and Maine is one of the ones I haven't. I was going to say, you go everywhere. You're always in a different place when I talk to you. I can't believe yeah, you haven't been, yeah. but I hope so you I, I got to get up there. It. Yeah, I, I got to get up there. I love I love fishing towns. I love coastal places and Maine looks beautiful. So I'm sure when I get there, I'll love it. But I, I'm very ambivalent at this time. I really like <laughs> what you said, Angelique, about the people. Like yeah. I hadn't thought about it in exactly that way before, but there's just a really cool like kinship <laughs> of people in New England, Maine, but Maine in particular, people that uh, do all sorts of different things, but but are connected over nature, are connected over, you know, a, a person, you know, running a running a lobster restaurant, but also like, you know, showing you where to go on a hiking trail. It's just a very, it's a very, it's a vibe, as they say. It it's is just a, vibe. A, a vibe. I mean, you kind of, you got all that saltiness from like shoveling all winter, you know, it's just like... <laughs> Most people don't have snowblowers. You know, my, my mother still is like, every time it yeah. snows, I'm in a panic trying to find someone to go shovel her out because she refuses to like invest in snowblower. But it's like, you know, you got that like hardship sort of of like the main cold winter. Um, but then you've got like all of the beauty of it too. And there's a lot of artists, artistry and artists in Maine too. So I think it's just like a really nice mix of like, we work hard and get it done, but we also like love real big too. And we understand like, beauty and how to connect to each other so. i like i like it there's some of this stuff in massachusetts but you don't have the bullshit of boston <laughs> to deal yeah with. <laughs> yeah i know i know i'm this like become- everyone's been like when i've when i've considered different moves in my life you know the natural move for maine usually is people go to school in like boston and then they stay there my brothers both lived in boston for years 
And so when I've been considering, like, should I leave D.C., but I don't want to go back to Maine yet and blah, blah, blah. Everyone's always like Boston. And I'm like, so Portland with traffic? Like, I don't know. I don't I, I don't want to sit in the traffic. That's what I that's the only thing that I really don't like about Boston is just like frustrating traffic. There's almost nothing I like about Boston. And this has turned into a New England elitist conversation that I'm excluding. I know. I'm sorry, Pedro. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's all good. No, look, as long as you guys don't start talking about the New England Patriots, I'm good. If you start talking about the New England Patriots, I'm dropping. <laughs> Can we, we can talk about Maine, I want to come. Handcrafted donuts are more, more what uh, I'd like now, to talk now, about. Now we're talking, man. Thanks for all hanging right. out well, with us, my friend. Thank you so much for, for oh, be, so fun. being on. Congratulations on all your me. all your big career moves, and um, I look forward to continuing to witness the ascension. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Well said. You. It's, it's so good to uh, see you again, Pedro and Andy. Now that we know each other, I hope we can we can still be friends. I follow no, you. You're doing some good stuff on the. Uh, you got some nice hot takes. I dig it. Like your hot thank takes you. are always that. Um, that's what part of part of me is like. Mm-hmm, he's from Massachusetts because the hot takes are just like hey here it is <laughs> i appreciate it i i think it's i'm just glad we've we've finally got to know each other we're, we're like-minded people so i'm <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm glad glad to get to know you and i'm really really pumped this to have you on it's really fun thank you i it was so much fun and i appreciate you having me on we'll talk soon 